Welcome to the Sus Talk Podcast. I'm Sumeraki. The NFL season is coming really soon. It's right around the corner. And I wanted to start the previewing with someone who prides himself on analyzing quarterbacks. I am joined once again by the producer and board operator for the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio, as well as the man who runs his own football scouting website in TD Scouting. I'm welcoming back Tom Benedetto. Tom, thank you so much for returning to the show. Thanks for having me, Sus, and pretty exciting to actually quite possibly have some real pro football to think about in the near future. Training camps have started, and I wanted I brought you on so that we could reassess the 2018 QB class that includes the likes of Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen. But first, we haven't talked since this bombshell story happened. I'm talking, of course, about Jamal Adams doing the right thing and leaving the Jets to play for a real team. No, I'm kidding. I'm just, that's a joke. That's a joke. We're actually going to talk about Patrick Mahomes getting his major contract extension. He signed for 10 years, and it is worth $477 million. He is, that is by far the richest contract in NFL history. What was your initial reaction when the news broke out? Uh, n- not even remotely surprised, but happy for, for Patrick. He deserves it. And the whole sport kind of deserves this security with its a one superstar. And I know, I guess apparently the, his, his fellow players don't necessarily see him as the best player in the sport because they're delusional, but he is the best player in the sport. Um, and now this is security for him and the chiefs franchise and where the league looks to be going. Now, obviously, COVID has thrown a wrench in the entire kind of growth of everything right now on the revenue front. But where the league looks to be going, this kind of money uh, will not be as outrageous as it sounds right now. Um, so I think it's always the smart thing. The Cowboys made this mistake. Uh, the, the Washington football team made this mistake prior with Kirk Cousins. It's always a good thing to pay your quarterback as soon as possible if you're convinced that that's your guy. Um, so the Chiefs did an amazing thing for their franchise. And now, you know, you just got to be thinking dynasty um, with whatever years Andy Reid has left with Mahomes. You got to be thinking that this is a wide open championship window and you're almost entering like a mini little Jordan window, I think, where you're trying to grab as many as you possibly can um, in the near future. Do you think we're going to see more QBs? Like, you're hopeful that, we, that we're going to get see more contracts like this. But, like, essentially, he got a baseball player's contract. This is, like, something right. that Mike Trout, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, like, those kind of – that's a kind Mookie. of contract that – yeah. Oh, yeah, Mookie especially. And this is, like, this is the kind of contract that you've seen in baseball and even, like, some hockey players back then. Like, I remember some hockey players signed for, like, 13 years or 17 years. And right, I thought, the length. Yes, exactly. It's ridiculous. Very famously here in New York, Rick DiPietro signing a, a contract like that with the Islanders. Yeah, and it's a very unusual thing to happen in football. But again, just the um, the situation here where you're catching a quarterback entering his prime who's young enough that you're hoping he will play an entire decade um, for you. It just It's perfect. It, it, it's hard to imagine how many other players would fit um a a decade plan like this like maybe a Deshaun Watson would be the first one that comes to mind but there really um are not that many but certainly for Pat it makes all the sense in the world yeah and it just makes me think like is he anomaly just because he's a such a transcendent talent because we haven't seen this contract before at all even for Peyton Manning or Tom Brady but maybe this is definitely just a something that breaks tradition and will bring apart a new generation it, of a new line of thinking. His everything about him is anomalous. So his talent is, you know, out of control, um, especially in comparison to everybody else. And then his productivity, the fact that he has like come out and proven that he's already won a Super Bowl. He's um, I mean, I think that playoffs last year were seriously terrifying. And that's why I'm talking dynasty, because if you remember the kind of games that the Chiefs were in, it was not like this team was a you know, fully dominating as a team in these games. They were letting up a ton of points, and they were heavily reliant on Mahomes just dominating the game in a way that they could not be beat. And that's what's so scary about this. So there is no other player like that in the game. And, again, other players have hit a really high level. Obviously, Brady had an amazing career but and, and won right away. So I guess that's kind of a, a comparison. But I think for somebody else to get a contract like this, in the near future, they have to bust into the league as one of the best, if not the best players, and then win a Super Bowl right away, 
which is tough. The interesting thing about all this, though, is that the way that the QB market works is, you know, they negotiate off of one another. So I don't think anybody like Watson, for example, on the Texans, I don't think that anybody thinks it's reasonable that he's in the same kind of money category as Mahomes. But you would think there's going to be now a big um, average annual value jump at the quarterback position because of this Mahomes contract and that other quarterbacks are going to make more year to year. But the nine years and the hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars thing, I think is an anomaly for sure. It kind of makes me think that you see guys like Joe Burrow and then sooner or later, like Trevor Lawrence, those guys could be in play for that kind of contract given their current talent level. And it's just kind of amazing that you see someone finally do this and say, look, we're going to pay this guy. We believe in this. Because we've seen so many times before where guys, they you, you mentioned like the Cowboys in Washington. They fought with their quarterbacks for to make sure that they wouldn't get stuck in a contract for a guy that they didn't really believe in. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, I keep thinking about like RG3. What I've been thinking about all offseason is uh, what is actually going to stand in Mahomes' way from – being a creating a dynasty right in the immediate future, maybe winning two out of the next three. Um, and I just think it's con- the one thing is confidence. He even got injured this year, and we saw him overcome a pretty scary, weird injury to still be fine. And he was playing, you know, not putting his full weight on one leg, even through the playoffs, and he was fine. So, I mean, which I think was another thing that really, really very much impressed the Chiefs and, and led to this contract. But the only thing for me is the RG3 story which seems really unlikely because of where Mahomes came from with a, in a pro- professional athlete family and his confidence in himself. But it's a confidence thing. Like RG3 came into the league flying off of his Baylor career and had all the confidence in the world as a rookie. And as soon as that confidence, especially deep ball confidence, it's the big thing that changed in his career. He was an amazing deep ball bomber. And then all of a sudden he couldn't complete one anymore. And he completely lost his confidence in that way. I don't see that happening for Mahomes. I don't think anybody does. But it's the one thing, even more so than injury, that if he has a couple – and it could come from injury. It could be like something like, again, he, he can't um, distribute his weight the way that he's comfortable with or whatever and has a couple rough games. Team starts going in a weird direction and he gets in his head. And then suddenly, instead of being by far the best player in the world, maybe he's just a top 10 quarterback for a year or two. That's the only thing that could make me think that people would say that this contract is excessive. And I just think it's so unlikely that we'll, we'll, it'll get to that point. But possible. Possible. I think the only thing that could really get in their way, from, in my opinion, is if they're not able to support him. And the defense really comes to mind on that. I mean, offensively, he's set. They just signed Travis Kelsey to an extension. They're stacked. Yeah, yeah. they're stacked in the and offensive then, side. But the defensive side is Edwards the only Hilaire concern. Is unbelievable, too. Yeah, uh, I just... <laughs> it's tough to like it's he's it's so justified it's this kind of contract is so justified for him but yeah I, i'm concerned about the defense too but i don't think the defense even if it's terrible and is in championship caliber in the next few seasons which wouldn't surprise me that much but even if that's true i don't know that that will stop him from throwing another 46 touchdowns you know and 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 being by far the most terrifying offensive player in the league even if the deep, which is kind of what we saw last year defense again was not really your idea of a championship defense at all. But it didn't matter because they had the best player in the game who could not be stopped, especially when they needed, um, you know, big scores, big possessions. He was just so clutch, which is the final kind of X factor with him that makes him so worth the money is that he's so freaking cool and collected in the biggest moments. He even beat the Madden curse, which very few players have been able to do. So, I mean, the Madden curse basically destroyed Antonio Brown's career. It really did. <laughs> it eats up everybody. It's a kind of disturbing. It's something that I made fun of for many years until I was like, you can't avoid this anymore. No, I mean, I, I mean, Gronk, even Brady, I was like, we all thought, well, this is the this is it for Brady. But somehow Brady still managed to get through because he's Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Pat Mahomes, so special, so great that he will be able to, he beat the Madden curse. But let's shift over to Another quarterback. Let's we're gonna go into the 2018 QB class and let's talk about the guy who's going to grace the Madden cover in Lamar Jackson. And mm. here's he is the biggest name of the entire class of 2018. Did you expect at all to, for him to have the MVP caliber season that he had? 
Uh, no, but I'm not surprised that he's succeeding um, as a starting quarterback in the NFL at all. So this class is very I'm, – I'm glad we get to talk about this. This class will probably go down as one of my favorite classes ever to scout because of how much talent was in that first round and how different all these quarterbacks were. And you think about this entire group from Darnold to Mayfield to Rosen to Allen to Jackson to um, – I would put Mason Rudolph and did put Mason Rudolph in that group. That was my group of first round grades for this class. Every one of these guys is so different. Just they're like, they're all kind of different quarterback archetypes, but they're completely different type of guys. And Lamar at the time, I think I had like fifth ranked out of that group coming in. But what I said about Lamar is that he's better than Michael Vick right now. He's better than Michael Vick ever was. And Michael Vick was the first pick in the draft and a phenomenon in the NFL. So why is this not the buzz for Lamar? Now, I think there are a couple factors. A, I think um, we experienced Michael Vick's career and realized that that kind of quarterback doesn't win the Super Bowl. That's just a huge problem. And B, Lamar kind of subverted his own uh, hype by the way he handled the pre-draft process. Um, and I think the biggest mistake he made, I understand why it happened, and it's kind of ridiculous to even be critical of it now. But the biggest mistake he made was not running a 40 because he didn't want to be seen as not a quarterback. But I think he underestimated what putting up a 4-3-40 with his quarterback skills, the level of elevation it would have brought everyone's respect for his overall athleticism. Um, and so I knew what a freak he was, more athletic and a better player than Michael Vick right out at the gate. Um, I'm just astonished at the offense that the Ravens have put together for him to function at such a high level right away. I mean, right away, even when he took over for Flacco the season before, um, he was already at a higher level than I expected. I thought there'd be more of a learning curve for him just based on common sense. What he was doing at Louisville was a lot of freewheeling, tucking and running big spread pass plays that with the option of then to tuck it and run, which is fine. And he was obviously Heisman level amazing. But the, the rigidity of the NFL, I thought it would be more of a, a challenge. And the Ravens made an offense for him that he could play wide open, freewheeling options, juking, using his speed in the open field, incorporating all of his talent. The problem, again, is and is always going to be when it comes down to those much tighter games uh, in the playoffs and when you have to fall back into your structure, when you don't have the space on the field and the freedom and the extra downs to take chances, to run options, to let him try to create yards just by being an athletic freak. And I think that's the area where is it's always going to be the biggest challenge for him because it's the area that he had the most work coming out, mostly because he's never really had to do it in college. He was too athletic to need to hone that. So I'm sure that's what he's working on this offseason. That's the next step. But in terms of what they already have in place for him as a regular season quarterback in that offensive scheme with those weapons around him, particularly with Hollywood Brown coming back fully healthy this year, I mean, I think there's every reason for him to, to rampage through another regular season. You mentioned the whole, like the Ravens, have basically retooling an offense just so that they could maximize on what he's really great at. You saw them run so many different formations. They were running a lot of yep. 12 personnel 13 personnel which is something i learned for the first time is what you is what they call three tight ends on the field and right, they had the right kind of people around him they were focused on the run they were really trying to alleviate a, a lot as much pressure off of him as possible why don't more head coaches do this where they just completely retool their offense to really accommodate their their star qbs it's it's a lot of work um I think this is one of the, the conundrums of coaching in general is that I always think a good coach, the best coaches are pragmatic and want to figure out a way to use um, the players that they have the best way and prioritize that over their scheme. But when ego comes into play, a lot of coaches believe that their scheme is superior, especially on a football team when you have such big numbers on the roster. The scheme is what matters, and I will find the players that fit my scheme rather than bending it the other way. So there's a lot of that going on around the league. Luckily for the Ravens, John Harbaugh, and it's interesting, too, his past as a special teams coach, he has never had this kind of, like, um, dogmatic commitment to one way of doing things or another. He's always kind of tried to maximize his talent. Um, and they, that, that approach is top to bottom in the organization. It's reflected in the way they draft, too. They don't try to, you know, pigeonhole players. They go out and get the best talents. They, they're picking very often in the 20s and late in the first round, and they go out and pick 
talent. They get value on their board. That's just the way that they operate, which is why they're so freaking successful. Um, you know, then there's coaches like Adam Gates, not to pick on Gates. He just admitted this week that he did this with Lev Bell last year. He didn't bend his plan to Le'Veon Bell. Um, he tried to force Bell into his scheme and it failed. And he says he's got an adjustment on this for this year. We'll see. Um, but I ultimately just think it comes down to who are the good coaches and who aren't. Some people, um, like Andy Reid have transcendent systems that can work with different personnel and with slight adjustments. And some people, like, again, not to just pick on Adam Gase, just are overconfident in schemes that have never really worked and probably will never work. I, I love how it was basically tw- at least 17 minutes in, and I thought, hmm, when is he going to start picking on Adam Gase? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, don't worry. I, I mean, I, you know what? One of the first times I ever felt any kind of uh, appreciation for the man, to be totally honest, since he got the Jets job was this week when he admitted that he is he was wrong in the way that he used bell and the way that he crafted the offense last season. That was to me, that was like a breath of fresh air. This guy doesn't think because everything with him is an excuse. Everything with him is a reason why his good plan didn't work, which is garbage. I mean, that's why he's such a loser of a coach. So that's what he's got to do. He's got to look himself in the mirror and be like, I am responsible too. And look, there's no talent on that team. That football team is depleted. They are a two and 14 candidate. I don't want to fast forward to Sam Darnold, but I'm so worried about him. And the only way that this is going to be saved, salvaged this year, is if Adam Gase changes into a master pragmatist and just says, we need to scrap and claw however we can win games. And we cannot act like there's one way to do things, my way or the highway, because then we will have a 1-15 in season. Well, you know what? I was thinking about going to Baker Mayfield next, but let's go to Sam Darnold because he's... Let's do it. <laughs> let's go. It's... Is he the most snake-bitten quarterback you've ever seen in years? It's bad. Um, it's really bad. And going back to just my initial evaluation of this class coming out, he was my favorite quarterback. He still is. I mean, I think he still, had he not gone to possibly, probably the worst franchise in the NFL, he right. had the best skill set, the most well-rounded skill set out of all of these quarterbacks, I think, to succeed as a superstar in the NFL. People still do not realize how athletic he is, just well-rounded of an athlete. Um, and yeah, snake bitten by going to the jets, snake bitten by getting mono snake bitten by the, just the nature of, uh, now this COVID fall and how the jets were going to try to come into this year, being a, a team with some good, really good defensive players and a good, supposedly great defensive coach and really play that kind of style. And then the two best defensive players pieced on them and they have no talent on offense. So the whole thing is a giant mess for him right now. And even though he was the guy that I thought was the best well-rounded talent from the class, I think he's in danger of having a a fail year. And the Jets, if they go that far to being as bad as I think they might, are also going to be tempted to move on from Sam and draft another quarterback. Um, Especially, again, if they're picking in the top three and you have Lawrence and and Fields there, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to, to already give up on Sam, which none of this is Sam's fault. I mean, he has had zero support. It's been a joke since he got there, but I think it's going to be that much of a disaster. And, and the one thing about Sam, as much as I, I think he's a very good leader, I think he's a very smart player, but I don't think he, I think he's a little bit too much of a California, simple California kid sometimes where his urgency, he doesn't realize that he almost needs to play perfectly for the Jets to have a chance. So there are too many loose plays. He takes too many risks. Um, he's aggressive, which is part of what I was so excited about him at USC is how fearless and aggressive he was attacking down the field. But that only works if you're, you know, you can only play like Brett Favre if you're on a good team. If you're Brett Favre on a garbage team and you're turning the ball over two times, three times a game, that's it. You're terrible. You're a bad quarterback on a bad team. And I really think that that's as much as I love Sam and would have loved him, whether the Jets picked him or not and rooted hard for him, I think he's in huge, huge trouble. Where would you think that if they did end up the scenario played out where they would have drafted somebody like a Trevor Lawrence or or Fields and they would move on from Darnold, where, which team would you love to see him get snatched up by? Um, well, we'll see what happens with Cam in New England. I would be terrified of Bill getting his hands on Darnold. Um, but, you know, honestly, we're, we're moving into a weird era in the NFL where almost every team is getting their franchise guy right now. And, and retreads are not popular, especially retreads that are not in the category of, like, veteran guy. Like a Case Keenum, for example, has been a popular retread in recent years. 
But I don't know. I don't know what would happen for Sam. And I got to just say that replacing Sam Donald with Justin Fields accomplishes nothing. You're, now your best player is still your young quarterback. You just went backwards in experience. And you're still an absolute disgrace of an organization top to bottom that still has no future. They're going to fire their coach probably after this year. So you're going to be bringing him in with a new coach also. Lord knows who they're going to hire this time. Like, replacing Darnold, even if they go, even if they don't win a game this year, replacing Darnold is not part of the actual equation of the Jets improving anything. It's just, again, shifting blame onto the wrong people and hurting themselves. They waited decades for this guy, and they're wasting him. Almost like they're doing it on purpose. It's kind of remarkable as a Jets fan to, to be watching. There is hope though because I the, the the game that he had last year against the Cowboys, which was a f- incredible oh win by then. Like there's signs of yep. hope. Like I saw that 90 yard bomb that he threw over to Robbie Anderson. I thought, oh, don't get me wrong, he's the best player on the team now with with Jamal out and CJ not playing. I mean, he is he has so much talent, but it. But again, and even the games like I'm talking about where he might gunsling it a little bit and turn it over twice, he's still usually the best player in the field in those games. And a part of what is appealing to him as a prospect coming out is how he could throw a pick and wipe it away. It didn't matter. He's not going to hang his head. He's not going to be afraid. He's not going to be tentative. It's not going to impact the rest of the game. Unfortunately, it's almost like a bad thing with the Jets because he can throw a pick and that leads to seven points the other way and puts the Jets in a hole and it, it erased out of his mind. But it almost shouldn't have and you can't turn it over again dude because you're playing on the jets if you were on the packers your options would be different you know if you were playing under shanahan on the niners instead of jimmy g i mean he would be a better quarterback it's such an interesting example i think he'd be a better quarterback very quickly if he was on the niners than jimmy g's perfectly built for that system and i think he's got more high-end talent but he just got screwed he is not in a place there where that can feature him he has no target to throw to and his best prayer for this year is that Le'Veon Bell comes back and just goes nuts. And then the run game opens up some deep passing options because as they were constructed last year, his number one threat is as a deep ball passer, but they couldn't run the ball. So there was no ability ever to throw it over the top of the defense. It was never there. Anytime he was doing it, he was forcing it. And then we saw a couple plays where they actually had it open. He had one pass in the whole game to hit a deep ball and he missed it. And everybody freaked out. Like the, the, the whole entire game plan was his fault, but it's like, you got it. That's not how the position is played. You got to give the guy more options than to just hit the one deep shot in the one moment in the third quarter that's your only option to gain 40 yards or more the whole game. I mean, that's just a dysfunctional offense. That's It's never going to work. Let's go from one dysfunctional organization to another dysfunctional organization, the Cleveland Browns. They <laughs> had the first overall pick in the 2018 draft, and they took Baker Mayfield, which I think mm-hmm. – shocked a lot of people when it happened in the given in just like the mm-hmm. moment and we were mm-hmm. like caught by surprise by the momentum that mm-hmm. he was getting he's been a decent quarterback so far but the attitude issues like you know off the field with you know the media and it kind of makes me think like he reminds me so much of Jay Cutler and I hold before <laughs> you say anything because I don't know if you no, agree, I like that. agree or disagree no, I, but I like it. to I agree like our like you know as the media our relationship with baker reminds me so much of how we treated jay cutler because we always like for some reason we just hated jay cutler i don't know if it was just the fact that he just looks smug all the time or aloof but i think we treat baker the same way because we just don't like how cocky he was coming into the league is is this my comparison apt at all is it true or false yeah I actually love it. I never thought about it this way. So there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, I'm glad you remember that we were surprised because a lot of people are acting nowadays like a lot of people, by the way, who um, thought Baker was the best quarterback prospect in the class, who are now acting like it wasn't a debate and everyone knew that he was going to go first, which is garbage. I mean, day of, we didn't we didn't know it was happening. So it's shocking. It was shocking. And I think they made a giant mistake. I mean, a huge mistake. The the. Comparison of Cutler is apt and ties into why it's a mistake. So my thing about Cutler has also been very, always been very different than everybody else's and more aligned with your view. So to me, when you look at Jay Cutler statistically over the course of his career and just like the way that he even performed in terms of wins and losses and in the hunt for playoffs and keeping them competitive, he was almost precisely dead on even the, the average quarterback in the NFL over the time over his career. Almost always he was like, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th in passer rating, 
somewhere in you know the top 14-ish in yards and touchdowns too. Like that, that's just where he lived. And people, because of the hype, and I guess maybe because of his attitude and just the way that you write, he looked aloof on the field a lot of the time. People treated him like he was garbage, but he absolutely was not garbage. He just absolutely was nowhere near elite either. And I think that that's probably the reality that's facing the rest of Baker's career. I'd love to be wrong about this, but a lot of the Drew Brees comparisons, look, Drew Brees is a one in a million Hall of Fame success story. And even Drew Brees had a whole early part of his career where he was not Drew Brees. It took him a while to become that level of player. And so this uh, kind of assumption that because of his stature and because of his accuracy, Baker's just going to grow into Drew Brees. I mean, maybe, but I, I don't know. That's not the direction that it's heading in now. And I think his attitude is part of the reason, too. I mean, he thinks he's a lot closer to a finished product than he is. Um, and like when he was coming out, I, I didn't think I had him as the fourth quarterback in the class. And one of my concerns, just aside from size, uh, was the fact that he, his, his footwork is absolutely awful. And, and he was playing in a gimmicky offense at Oklahoma that was not built for NFL footwork. And that has absolutely killed him. His pocket footwork is still terrible. Almost like they don't know he has to work on it. Um, and then he really didn't attack over the top of defenses at Oklahoma as much as you would like to see from a top prospect, certainly as much as like Josh Rosen and Darnold were doing in their offenses in college. And that's one thing he has improved on. I think that's the area you can cling to if you're a Browns fan. He has shown those flashes of being able to throw lasers 40 yards down the field on stride and attack the defense. Um, and I think that right now is the thing you're hoping. You're hoping that he refines everything, his approach you know, his work ethic, he has admitted that he gets easily distracted and that he was in a, you know, did not work hard enough last offseason and try to correct it this offseason, which I, I don't know how you can be the number one pick in the draft and then not work hard enough in an offseason. That's such a red flag in and of itself. But um, I think you got to cling to him working on everything, becoming a more well-rounded, solid player because he just doesn't have the stature or athleticism to be sloppy, especially with footwork. And then you got to hope he develops that ability to just laser beam down the field, maximize his arm talent. The thing about his arm is that it's a, he, he, he has zip. I mean, he's got a high-velocity arm. So it, he's not big, his mechanics aren't great, and he's not exactly a notorious downfield bomber, but he's got the zip that if he can really become a better, tighter player in the pocket, make faster reads, get the ball out quickly, I still think he could be a very successful, possibly top 10 quarterback, possibly go towards Breeze and being a Hall of Famer. I don't think that's out yet. I think it's much more likely that the future that he will have is as a controversial, very mediocre, dead middle of the league type quarterback, though. It is concerning because I feel like when he was drafted at the first overall, I think the, it was problematic, not because not just because of what like you just said with in regards to some of the aspects of his skills that are flawed. I think it was more just... And his personality, too. Yeah. yeah. It's not even just like... I think he would have benefited more if he ended up being drafted in Lamar's position, like at 32. I think that he's... So what I mean by that is he's kind of like the kind of guy that feeds on people doubting him. And I feel like if he was in a similar situation to where someone like Draymond Green, who actively remembers yep. every single person who was drafted ahead of him. He's the kind of guy that would do something like this. And I think he needs wow. like an extra motivation. He's the kind of guy that needs you a chip on. chip on his shoulder. And I think he needed to be on it. Like if the Browns selected him in the second round with the 33rd pick, I think he would have been so much better. And, uh, and I, I couldn't, ag- I could not agree more. And I think that um, there's multiple ways you can go from here. First of all, I think it's pretty clear the Browns, aired in this specific area two times with him first by making him the number one pick and hyping him up as the savior of, of Cleveland Browns football and then firing his first coach and basically letting him pick his buddy to be the second coach so they made that same mistake two times instead of giving him a chip they gave him way too much validation to go the other direction to actually spend an offseason not working hard enough and thinking that my buddy's the coach now and 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 all is good But I think there's a much bigger conversation here about the number one pick in general, the idea of tanking and number one quarterbacks. Do they work out? Think about what makes a great quarterback. Think about Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, even to a degree now, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. None of these dudes are number one overall picks. All of these dudes are motivated by the snub. That is, in my opinion, part of the process of being 
breaking through to becoming an elite quarterback. And in the very few examples, which are basically the Manning brothers, we have of recent examples of number one picks panning out. The Manning brothers and Cam are the number one picks that have panned out. The Manning brothers came from NFL pedigree. They didn't need the, the chip on the shoulder thing to be passed over to get there because they they already felt that they belonged as part of NFL history in the league, especially Peyton. I mean, Peyton never lacked for any kind of confidence, but also never lacked for a chip on his shoulder just inherently by the way that he is a huge kind of dick who is constantly competing. He's kind of like a Jordan-esque dick figure. He didn't need that kind of slight. And Cam, you know, is a, is a singular, unique thing. He's his own career phenomenon. He came in as one of the best quarterback prospects we've ever seen. He had an amazing rise, and he had an incredibly precipitous, depressing fall. And we'll see if he's going to salvage it in New England now. It's a chapter two. But he's kind of his own example. Aside from this, I mean, number one picks do not pan out as all-time great quarterbacks. And I think the reason for it is just simply that the snub and the thing that Baker is lacking is part of the equation for all-time greatness at quarterback. There's no way to do it where you just hand the, 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 the keys to somebody and say, you are our savior, and that it works out. Because it, it doesn't work out like that. And it's the one thing – I'm so confident in Joe Burrow, but it's the one thing I'm a little afraid of. If the Bengals try to act like it's done now, we saved the franchise because this kid walked in the door, that's not going to work. That's, that's just the beginning. It's just step one you got to build a championship program around that player once you get that player in the door. It's the place that I just complained that the Jets have failed so epically with Darnold. It does make me think that now that you put the current rookie class into mind, like a quarterback like Tua Tungavailoa or Jordan Love or like those guys in their situations right now, they are, they like Tua, for example, especially, he was passed over mm-hmm. and he was considered mm-hmm. the next big quarterback the next big thing but then injuries happened and then some other issues flared up and then now he's the fifth overall pick which you know not the worst thing but still this was somebody he probably is going to think to himself i deserve to to be the number one overall pick yeah i know for a fact that i, I could had, be better than joe right i had something taken away from me totally yeah and burrow see burrow to me is a special person also um so I don't want to compare him to Peyton Manning, but I, it wouldn't surprise me because he is so just different if he had the individual drive, if he was one of the players to overcome it. And I actually like I actually think the Bengals are going to be an interesting watch right away this year. I mean, I think he's so, his level from last year is so high that if he's 85 percent of that starting this year in the NFL, and we just saw Murray do it to a lesser extent last year, Burrow's going to be immediately a star in the league, in, in my opinion. Um, I don't know that the team can necessarily support that yet, and we'll see. But if they're ready to come out and, and, you know, be professional, he will rise to their level and he will win games. He'll throw it all over the field. Um, The thing about Burrow is just uh, going back to the RG3 point I made earlier. It's just his confidence. He is riding this wave that I think is real. But how could you possibly know that that's real? Because it is something we've never seen before. And when he when the you know. When the going gets tough on the NFL field and, you know, he makes a couple mistakes and looks a little weird, is he still going to keep that absolute dead-eye confidence? I think he – I actually think he will, but that's what I'm going to be watching for this season. Let's go to a team that has done a really good job in supporting their quarterback. We're going to go to the Bills and their quarterback, Josh mm-hmm. Allen, who's – very interesting. Like I've never seen a quarterback that's kind of confused me the way that Josh Allen has. He's <laughs> I love him because like he's given me some hope in fantasy football because he's all those running touchdowns and everything, but uh, did you see him being as productive as he's been? No. Uh, I had him 6th out of the 6 quarterbacks coming out um and I seriously doubted his ability to play the position at the NFL level. I should have seen his athleticism it's just hard to tell coming out of wyoming that's the thing that if he had been playing in the sec or something i think it would have been a little more obvious i did not think that he was going to walk onto an nfl field and be the most athletic player right away from quarterback on an nfl field on many days and you can work with that i mean you can that that is worth the the project that he is as a passer um the thing is, the Bills' speed of – you're right. They've done a great job putting a good team around him, almost too good a job. Like, their speed of expectation growing is outpacing his development, um, which came to a head – they had a great season last year, but then it came to a head in the playoff game where, jo- you know, Josh completely lost his composure in that game. 
um, which is a terrible, terrible thing. And it's actually a hard thing for a quarterback to come back from in the locker room. But they're such an interesting situation where they're so supportive and they all believe in him and they all like him so much. He has been such an effective leader there that I think he's fine, but that's the area he's got to improve. It's very similar to the Lamar Jackson situation. They both can freewheel. And on any given day, they're both going to be the single most athletic player and dangerous player on the field for their team. The problem is when it comes to going back into structure, not relying on your athleticism and actually having to run offense within 10 yards um, in playoff kind of situations while keeping it together. That's the place where and Lamar's even kind of significantly ahead of Josh in that area. Josh is just not ready, was not ready for that last year. And to me, one year is not he's he's there's too much to gain for him to get there for this year. And I don't want to you know say that the Bills fans are doomed from the jump and they have such a good team that they can carry him a long way. But I just think when the, when it really push comes to shove, he has too much to gain in that area that for, for one offseason, especially a weird covid offseason for him to get there. He's got years of progress to go. But the thing is, like I said, great leader, unbelievable athlete, and young enough, and the team has the patience. He might he might get there, and I did not see that arc being really possible uh, of him actually having the talent. And if the team has the patience with him, you know, and he gets the time to be on a trajectory to being an elite quarterback, I did not see that as a possibility, which is why I had him sixth in the class. And I can already say I'm wrong. Um because just the fact that that upside exists is so exciting for the Bills, and it's worth certainly investing um, all of this time and effort in. And why not try to win in the meantime? I think they, I think they're very aware of all the things I just said. I don't think, I don't think you know, uh, Doug McDermott would deny any of it. It's just that we're going to still try to win while we're bringing them along. Of course, of course. So that, I think that's the story of the Bills this year, and they're terrifying if he. If he, if I'm wrong and he makes a, a a bigger jump than I'm anticipating, that team is terrifying. You brought up a good point where it's kind of tough to gauge what kind of um, quarterback he was going to be, just given where he came from. He came from Wyoming, and it kind of reminds me of how teams kind of treated Carson Wentz, just because they didn't really, <laughs> they didn't really have right. like enough like tape on him because he came from a really right. small school and we could feel that I, I, cause I remember, I think there's another North Dakota state quarterback that's going to be in the up Trey the Lance. Next, yes. Yeah. The next class. And he's probably going to have to go through the same issue that the, uh, that these guys have yep. also had to go through, which is a lot of people doubting you just because they don't know who you are. Like, I think and I, I knew yeah. the thing is, even if, you know, like I knew with Josh, um, I watched all those games. It's just, you still can't tell the competitive level level is less and the thing about josh at wyoming is he's completing like 61 percent of his passes at wyoming i mean you're supposed if you're really a legitimate top of the draft quarterback prospect and you're playing a rep that's the one thing between you know wentz and trey lance i put up numbers they're stars it's just hard to tell necessarily how automatically that's going to translate josh allen was just hyped because he was a giant freak with a huge arm who had nfl hype but not because he was some kind of star um, in terms of productivity at Wyoming, and uh, completion percentage is horrifying. And you're watching this film, not that he had the greatest wide receivers ever, but you're watching this film and you got guys riding, running wide open in the middle of the field that he's missing by 10 feet. And you're seeing the same thing in the NFL from him all the time too. I mean, he just is wild. So I think that's the big difference. I, I agree with you. There is, a, there is a through line there. But the weirdest thing about Josh Allen is that he is much more athletic, in my opinion, than even, especially translating in the NFL, than Wentz or, or Lance, but it was so much less productive that you're taking so much more of a gamble just on raw talent with him, watching him just be out of control as a quarterback at Wyoming. But with that missile, the missile's there, and maybe it's the biggest lesson of recent uh, football scout, quarterback scouting between Mahomes and Allen is that if your arm is a missile like that, then you know, you're know you going to be dangerous in the NFL. You, a coach can work with you, and you're going to have a spot. Um both of those guys I doubted because of refinement, and I missed the main thing, that these are the two best quarterback arms on the planet Earth, and so a franchise will absolutely try to win with these arms. 
Yeah, I can't imagine what uh, Josh Allen's going to do with Stephon Diggs. Just imagine all the deep balls that's going to be the thrown bombs. there. Yeah, the I bombs. can't wait for the lasers, the laser show. But I want to wrap up like Josh Allen with a little of the question of this. I mean, with all these quarterbacks, their contracts are coming up really, really soon, sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like Josh Allen might be a candidate for do for the Bills kind of doing what Washington did and what Dallas is doing right now. As we meant, as I mentioned earlier, pulling a Kirk Cousins on him because if you don't, it just feels like maybe if you don't think that this quarterback is going to get you to the next level, then you might have to just kind of fight him on his negotiation. Do you see that happening at all? Because I feel like to me, Josh, that could happen with Josh. Um, Brandon Bean has been way too, the Bills Jam has been way too competent to let that happen. So it actually surprised me. I understand the idea that they may be hesitant to fully get married to him for all of the things that I've just discussed about him. But that is the project right now. They've identified it in a, an A1 top level all time quarterback physical talent. And they are in the midst of doing a multi, multi year buildup of this guy. So, I mean, you got to sign him. And, you know, and I think the thing is, if you do it early, you're not going to have to pay him like he's the best player in the league because he's nowhere near that. So I think he's actually a candidate, not for Mahomes level money or the or the nine years. But I think he's a candidate for much more of that style of thing of committing early to multiple years than playing a, a franchise tag game with him. Um, that would be bad. And I also think it's bad for your development. It's one of the things I think that is uh, underrated about Patrick Mahomes and that contract is that Mahomes is a phenomenal, consummate professional. And he just wants to deal in almost like a, I've said Jordan a couple times now with him, but almost like a Jordan-esque way. He just wants to worry about football and worry about getting himself in shape and improving his game. And he doesn't need to worry about a whole bunch of other nonsense. And he certainly, certainly doesn't has no interest in free agency or shopping himself or testing his skills with another coach or any of that none of that and so signing him allows him to put that completely out of his mind he is a chief in terms of his mind he is a chief for life andy reed is his boy and all he has to think about is succeeding as a chief under andy's system and i would be trying to drop a framework for josh allen to do the same thing just become Buffalo's favorite son. You're not going anywhere. You got a great coach. You're going to work with this team for the long term and you're going to get better. And once you start playing these franchise tag games and the animosity, you know, you get weird stuff happening like Dak holding bizarre, Dak Prescott holding bizarre COVID parties and stuff and acting out against the team. You don't want that. You know, that's, that's loser stuff. That's not, no winning franchises go through that kind of garbage. You need unity. You need leadership at the quarterback position. You need buy-in. And you can't have the quarterback being bratty and moody and like that, like the Cowboys having the running back is bratty and moody and everybody's out of control. That's garbage. That's me first stuff. And in the end, that just melts down your season at some point. Um, so I, maybe, I guess is the answer. Maybe the Bills are on track for that. But I think it'd be a mistake. And I think Brandon Bean's one of the best GMs in the whole league and won't make that mistake. Let's wrap up the 2018 class with the black sheep of this class. Josh Rosen, my favorite quarterback of this mm. class, because good for you. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you why. Because I still believe that there's he's salvageable. Everybody has completely left oh, him for too. dead. But come on, like I think that he was just—he's he, the most unlucky quarterback. Like you know, maybe I have to take the whole stink bitten thing out off of uh, Sam Darnold because I actually think Josh they Rosen both got it bad, man. It's. It's so unfortunate. This guy gets traded up. The Cardinals trade up to get to draft him. And then they do nothing with him. They give him no offensive line and think, oh, we got to draft another quarterback. I'm like, well, fix your offensive line first. Maybe, maybe like at least try with him. And then he gets traded to the Dolphins. Yeah, he gets screwed like twice. The way that I framed the 2018 quarterback class was that it was all about Rosen and Darnold. And that everyone else was kind of like the rest. Uh, so obviously I'm with you Rosen, unfortunately, especially out of that class, I guess, except for, uh, Mason Rudolph, who I keep trying to force into this conversation, but every other player in the class is a, like kind of a five tool quarterback, well-rounded athletic quarterback. And Rosen is athletic, like a tennis player. He doesn't have the same kind of athleticism. He's just too much of a kind of traditional pocket passer for the direction that today's NFL is going in, which 
was a problem right in his scouting report that I put in. Like, it was not anything that was a surprise to me. But he also displayed, I thought, coming into the league, the highest mental acuity at quarterback. Um, Pre-snap reads, post-snap reads, running a pro system with taking the ball out from under center and pro-style dropbacks in college. He had already been through a lot of the uh, X's and O's process that is a transition for almost every other quarterback to the NFL now uh, and had been great at it. Throws a through a gorgeous football and has an attacking mentality. Despite all that, he is not some kind of game manager as a pocket player. He, he wants to throw downfield. In fact, when you see him in the, in the NFL and his limited opportunities, I mean, this dude, one out of every three tosses, he's chucking it downfield because that's what he does. And he is here to, to uh, you know, to make a statement. He wants, his, he wants a job back. He wants to play. So he thinks of himself as a starting caliber talent. Um, I just, what I said earlier about the, almost every team lining up with a franchise player right now, there's just not opportunity for him to get a chance. Um, but I would not forget about Josh. I'm with you. I think that there's still something to be made from him if a team, if he got to the right situation and, and, and got a chance to play. And we know in this league, injuries can change the reality of things very quickly. Um I just I hope he does get an opportunity to, to actually have a team, you know, trust him for eight games or something like that in the next couple of years. And he can actually prove it. I think a lot of the same things, about, to be honest, about Mason Rudolph. I think Mason Rudolph also got really screwed with the situation. The Steelers seemed like it was going to be the best thing. And then Ben getting hurt and leaving him to be exposed in his first starts of his career on a terrible offense with a bad offensive coach. Um, where he just took all this heat and then obviously the Garrett incident. I mean, he ran his career into the ground in a seven-game span in a way that I've never seen in my whole life. And it was just wrong place, wrong time. Um, not because he's a terrible player. In fact, they won more of those starts than they lost, even though the offense was terrible. And his numbers were, I think, better for the season than Baker Mayfield's, like on average, um, even though he was awful and offensively bad for the, for a bad Steelers offense in, in, in seven games in which I believe they won four. They went four and three. So situation is absolutely everything. And unfortunately, Rosen got the most screwed. But I also think um, Darnold and uh, Mason got screwed, too, in a way where Lamar, even though he got passed over and basically disrespected on the first round of the draft, ends up landing in the absolute perfect place that I don't think it's possible that he becomes NFL MVP if he is any, anywhere else. And he just landed exactly where he needed to be. And so much of success in this league is, is just about that at the quarterback position. It just like you think I, I just like when I when I think about where he could where he could go to succeed, I'm just thinking like, just give him an offensive line. That's all I ask. Right. I, I just plead the NFL gods i just want them please just get him a decent offensive line i was that's why i was thinking to myself like this during the draft i was thinking hey maybe the the cowboys if they're so disgruntled with how they're dealing with Dak, maybe they get him as a backup by training a fifth round pick well, for him or the steelers dalton they just idea, get so they, yeah yeah dalton was a good idea for the cowboys they did one better and dalton i would watch dalton nobody's talking about this and people look at me crazy when i say this but i would watch the dalton Dak thing this year um, but that would have made sense. You're right. Had they not traded for Dalton. I think the bears are another one that like halfway address. They know that Mitch is not going to work out, but they only halfway addressed it with Foles um, and are going to need a new plan after this season. But I just don't think that it's the worst place for Rosen to go to play in a cold weather city. That's a slow type of offense. That's not really, I don't think that, I mean, I think he, it would be better than no shot, but I, it's not, it's not a good fit. I think the Pats were such a good fit. Uh, I can't believe they never pulled the trigger, especially the cerebral way that he plays the game. But that didn't happen. It's hard. It's hard to think of a single place that actually makes sense uh, for him to go right now, which is which is sad. I mean, the Cardinals are the right infrastructure now, but, you know, they have another quarterback and they change their whole offense away to something that he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't really do. So it's a... It's a toughie. Maybe it's like maybe he can try to get in Tampa and take the reins whenever Tom's done there or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I'm really struggling to even find one other good example. Yeah, it's because I think Rosen going to 
Bill, because like Rosen was getting like Aaron Rodgers comparisons in terms of just like his whole mentality to the game, like the way that he kind of goes carries himself. I was thinking like, imagine if he Absolutely was on the 49ers. Great. Like that's a, I would be, sc- yeah. I would be sc- more scared of the 49ers if Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen was on was their quarterback instead of Jimmy Garoppolo, which says so much about Jimmy Garoppolo that it does Darnold and Rosen. I just think like yeah. I would just if again it just comes down to having an offensive line to me. You're right. And it's, you know, again, that seems like a crazy statement, but I, I agree. I think if either Rosen or Darnold had been on the Niners since draft day, they would both be scarier players than Jimmy G now in that offense. I totally agree. It's not a bad idea. I mean, they really like, um, what's his face? Mullins for whatever reason. And they have, um, uh, Bether too, CJ Bether. So they, they have a quarterback room that for whatever weird reason they really like. Um, so I don't think that's really a, a spot for him either, but it makes, it actually would make sense schematically. You would, you could easily see Rosen stepping in and running that offense. I let, thank you so much, Tom, for talking football with me. Now, before we go and wrap, completely wrap up this podcast, I did promise you when I was messaging you that I would surprise you with something. Last time I had mm. you on, I surprised you by talking to Dave Matthews when, You've been yeah, a huge right. fan. My and, favorite topic, yes. Yeah, and there's so because there's so much, so many things I could discuss with you. I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to try to take a guess at what I think I'm going to talk with you, talk with you about. Uh, is it some type of television? No, actually, it's currently going on right now. That's the only example, the only clue I'm giving oh, you. In. It's, a, it's what I'm watching that's half distracting me from this chat. It's the Champions League. There we go. Now you've been a avid football like soccer fan what made you right. love the game of football as much as you do the american football um well my um my grandparents were italian italians from italy from outside naples um actually my they actually moved they immigrated here through south africa so my father was actually born in south africa I lived there until he was 12 and then they came in 1969 when my father was 12 years old um, and my father quickly acclimated to all the American sports, but soccer was his first love. And so he kind of raised me, my, my perspective on sports is kind of from him. Um, but he had a very international perspective on sports that I think I, I also have. And he had a very much like he understood the beauty of the beautiful game and conveyed it to me and raised me on Italian Serie A in Italian on TV. We watched every single Sunday. And so I just got used to this whole other sporting area growing up that, you know, even my friends who were playing soccer weren't really aware of. Um, And I got used to watching a ton of European soccer and watching a ton of soccer in other languages. And that branched out into me watching Spanish language soccer. And so then over the course of, you know, years, it's become more popular and more available in English and all over American TV. Um, And I got away from it, to be honest, because I you know, I was in college and I was covering not non-soccer sports. I did a couple soccer games. And then, you know, I got this job at CBS Sports Radio and we act like soccer doesn't exist for whatever unfortunate reason. Um, and so I got away from following it as closely. And then it's, it's, I've come back to it in the last like two or three years. So strongly, stronger than ever. Um, and so that's kind of the full story about me and soccer. And I just think it's in such a good place right now. Um, with the way that it's it's finally breaking through to an American audience. Um, it's more readily available for the whole world to be watching these games than ever before, and the whole world is watching these games. Um, and I just think it's in a healthier place. The, where the players are, um, and in terms of, you know, like their compensation, but also like the way that um, they view their clubs and they view the game, they're much less aggrieved than American athletes. And I'm not saying American pro athletes aren't legitimately aggrieved, but European soccer is just in a much better place where I think everybody appreciates, feels more appreciated and appreciates what's happening way more than our athletes. Um, and I think it translates to a much better, much better, uh, you know, product in the end. I mean, you know, it's certainly the opposite of the commissioner of major league baseball saying that the, the, the World Series trophy is just a piece of metal. I mean, this is the opposite extreme of that, of these guys live and die for these games, um, especially like we're seeing today. Barcelona and Bayern Munich in the Champions League. I mean, this is everything for these guys right now. This is a, a mini Super Bowl. 
And if whoever wins this is going to play another mini Super Bowl in four days, you know, that's just that's the reality of soccer. And I think there's a whole intensity going on here that the American sports fan is completely missing with their condescension about, you know, it's it's too slow moving or there's diving. It's not tough enough or whatever nonsense. You know, they're, they're missing that the intensity here is all, every bit at the level of the NFL or the NBA. And even in many days like the day we're experiencing right now, I think it exceeds it even. It just makes me interesting because, like, for me, I didn't really get into soccer until probably the 2010 World Cup with the U.S.'s mini run. Mm. That I remember. Yeah. 2014 kind of locked in me South in. Africa. Yeah. 2014 locked me in a little bit, but I can say, like, the sole soccer moment that I could remotely connect with the most was back in 2011, the Women's World Cup. And watching the Japanese women's team just kind of steamroll their way into the World Cup Finals, mm. beating a uber elite U.S. team that had a prime yes. a- Abby Wombat, Alexis Morgan, Alex Morgan. I I yeah. can't believe I messed up her name. I really apologize to that, for that. Yeah. Hope Solo, <laughs> who is, was right. a stalwart goalkeeper. And then they just they took him to task and then beat them in PK kicks to win the championship. During a time when Japan was still very much suffering from the whole natural disaster. And then, you know, even though four years later, the U.S. redeemed themselves and just destroyed Japan, which was probably the most (laughs) heartbreaking soccer moment I'll ever see in my life. It it was, it's just like, I understand, like, I'm seeing it too. Like, I see that the the growth and popularity of soccer is really rising in, in this country because... As I used to work at a summer camp, like as a counselor at, at, a, at a local uh, in my area, and I see all these kids. All the little kids that are like third or fourth grade. They're all wearing soccer jerseys. They're all wearing European, um, like club jerseys for Ronaldo, Messi. That's like that's different. You're seeing all I these think kids. When I was a kid, yeah. When I was a kid, you know, in that age range, everyone was playing soccer too. But nobody, not nobody, but very few were actually attached onto the professional European soccer mechanism enough to stick with it. And what happened was this happened to all my friends. It happened to me. I left the sport of soccer too and played every other thing. What happens is American kids get attached on every other team sport. So I became obsessed with the Mets and the Jets and the Knicks. And so I had to, of course, go try to play baseball and, and uh, basketball and football, which I did. And but I think part of the equation of why you lose so many kids is because you don't have it in your as presently in your life as these other games that take your attention. And now that soccer is so much more visible on TV, it's part of why I'm so upset that CBS decided to take this Champions League tournament and a very unique one and put it behind a paywall to try to get you to download their app. It's just so against the current of what's happening and so bad for soccer in this country and so craven and commercial and disgusting. Uh, that they did that. And that ESPN also does a similar thing, like hiding the Syria and the FA Cup behind their paywall on ESPN+. Plus. It's gross. So now there's an actual... Now that soccer is legitimate in this country, becoming more legitimate in this country, now there's this corporate pushback where how can we make money off this now that people want it in a real gross way that is only going to kind of stunt this thing that's happening. But I don't think it's avoidable now. Again, it's in people's lives and kids are walking around in Messi jerseys and Ronaldo jerseys and Neymar jerseys. And that is, the, to me, the big thing that will keep them in. And hopefully it will reflect well on our soccer program, which is in a terrible place on a leadership standpoint and a structure standpoint. But Christian Pulisic is one of the rising stars on the entire planet in the, in the game. And Steven Adams just scored one of the biggest goals an American has ever scored in European competition just yesterday to put Leipzig into the final four in the Champions League, which they have never done. An American helped them do that, scored the winning goal. So there, there's reason to be excited about soccer in the present and the future. Um, but you have these interests, these corporate interests who want to make money off it, and just a U.S. soccer organization that's badly, badly broken and can't reform because it keeps firing people that aren't the head. And the head keeps regenerating new crap people from the same crap group of crap people. And so there is no reform. There is no progress. We missed the World Cup. Hi. So during the back end of my interview with Tom, our Skype call crapped out, which is why you're hearing me with the jingle in the background. We're going to throw it back, but I guess this just goes to show that we were just having such an interesting and intense conversation about quarterbacks that Skype just couldn't handle it. It's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. 
Think of it like how Beyonce performed so well at Super Bowl 47 that she basically crapped the Superdome's power. It was that intense, that electrifying. That I am also sticking to as the reason why the blackout happened. Because Beyonce was just too damn good. Anyway, back to the interview in three, two, one. Based on your tweets, I assume that you are a Chelsea fan. Yes, uh, just my Chelsea's my Premier League team. Inter is my uh, Inter is my real favorite team in all of Europe in Italian Syria. Um, but Chelsea's my favorite Premier League team, and I also root for Napoli just because family ties to the region. Um, so those are like my three teams. Which it's okay. It's the other thing about European soccer. There's so many teams and so many leagues. It's okay. You don't have to have one team. You know, you can have teams in different leagues. You can root for two teams in the same league, as long as it's not Barcelona and Real Madrid. As long as it's not, yeah, not that. I, it can't be Chelsea and Arsenal, but you can have multiple teams. Yeah, you know, that's the thing that kind of like for me is kind of like a kind of a put off with, uh, you know, international soccer is just the fact that it's usually almost the same four teams every year. All the players want to go to those four teams. And it's very easy for them to just sign over there because they have all the money. Like, that's the only right. kind of turnoff for me is you, if you thought the NBA was top heavy and you thought that there's just like only those four teams, certain teams win over there. Like soccer is it's even worse to me. Like I, I just I don't know that that I understand that where the perception comes from. And I think in certain situations like the Syria, for example, is in a terrible place because Juventus is just out of control. Runaway train. They've won seven in a row or eight in a row and no other teams are close to them. Obviously, the biggest clubs in the world, wealth, um, you know, money-wise, are Real Madrid and Barcelona. And there's nothing anybody can do about that. And they can have whoever they want, basically. Um, but I got to say that I think part of the drama of soccer is seeing how these teams with resources manage those resources. And how the teams like Atalanta and the Serie A, who just made a run into the last eight, Atalanta in the Serie A has the payroll of a championship side in England, so a second division side beneath Premier League. And they made it to the final eight in all of Europe because of their brilliant management of their resources. Leipzig, um, in a similar way, has now made it into the final four. Leipzig is part of the Red Bull system. They're actually the, the head of the snake that the same Red Bull New York is attached to. And so what Red Bull has created, bizarrely, but it's working, is a they bought up teams in different countries around different leagues around the world and they all feed into each other so they have an edge because they can loan themselves players they can sell themselves players they can kind of manage more simultaneous talent in terms of development than one single club in one single youth system because they're using a bunch of clubs around the world and a bunch of youth systems all feeding into each other and actually their their youth academy here in new york is like a huge focus of this. They are they have been pulling talent out of out of the New York area to use all over the world. So there's different ways to manage your wealth level, and I think that's absolutely part of the intrigue. And you know, for all of Juventus's success and dominance in Syria, they were already the dominant team in Syria when the second best or maybe the best player in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo, came and joined them. They still can't get it done in the Champions League. Not even close. They're flopping epically. So the money doesn't win you the ultimate prize, but it is true that the sphere of influence, and especially like in England, they call it the big six clubs, the sphere of influence of super wealthy clubs is not, it's like 16 teams in the, in the world, in the, in the group that are clearly on another level. And it's always about basically them either blowing it or succeeding. And that's fair. Um, that's fair. Germany has a little bit of this issue too. Bayern Munich is a runaway train in, in Germany. They just scored again as I'm as I'm speaking. They're beating up on Barca. They're a runaway train too. It's it's true. Um, but when you put them all together in the Champions League, that's kind of the, the beauty of it. You have all of these great teams. So now something's got to give today between Barcelona and Bayern Munich. I mean, these are two titans. They're extremely wealthy. But one team is going to be real ticked off in about 90 minutes from now. Um, and one team's going to view their season probably as a failure, especially Barcelona did not win the Spanish La Liga this year. Real Madrid did. So if they don't win that and they lose today, you know, people are going to get fired. So I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think there's a, there's a lot of depth also within that wealth imbalance and things aren't quite as automatic as they might seem. 
Yeah, I do. I always feel like this. There's a lot of the sack. There's sack rate, or is, you know, sacking equals firing. Yes. That is like a lot higher yes. in soccer than it is in a lot of other yes. sports. But I just quickly, what is your, what is your prediction for the Champions League? Like a real brief prediction. It's a real tough one this year. I actually had the feeling that Bayern Munich's going to win the whole thing, and now they're winning today, so they're already over Barca. So it's a little bit of a cheap pick. I just have a weird feeling about how like perfectly constructed this team is, and Germany came back sooner and finished earlier, so they've had much more time to focus on this project here and, and finishing the deal. Um, so I guess I'll give you that pick, but I think it's hard because every other year we've had two legs of the Champions League, a home, uh, you know, home and home situation, and the ties are broken by away goals. That's how the Champions League's always been built, but because. Uh, they are in a bubble, and because they lost their, so much time, these are all single elimination games, which just adds another level of randomness. It takes a Champions League series, quote-unquote, that kind of usually could be somewhat predictable and makes a much more NCAA tournament level of, like, any of these games can go any, any direction right now. All right, Tom, let the people know how they can reach out to you on social media and what you've been up to. Just at producer underscore Tom on Twitter. That's that's where I spend too much of my time. And uh, if you want to yell at me, come yell at me there. I'm doing all kinds of various roles at CBS Sports Radio now. I'm usually contributing on a daily basis to the Zach Gelb Show at 6 p.m. Eastern. But you'll hear me producing sports minutes. You'll hear me working on other shows, JR, other things during the day. So that's, that's basically uh, what all my time is. And I can't wait to start posting stuff, tdscouting.com. Uh, it's been a lull after the draft, which it usually is, um, but I can't wait to start posting new grades. I'll be grading again every quarterback performance from every week of, of this football season. Fingers crossed that that it happens in, in full. All right. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming on to the show. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Do not forget to follow this podcast on Spotify as well as Anchor.fm. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.